Open your Bibles if we're to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. The name of the message is the truth of the gospel. Now, now what's the truth of the gospel? Well, justification in Christ alone, right? That the fact that our salvation is in and through Christ alone by his precious work. He must be magnified. That's why Paul said, I'm determined to preach nothing but Christ in him crucified. And our great God, he, he moves in mysterious ways, doesn't he? He does. He moves in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. And we saw in our last study that Peter let the flesh get the better of him, remember? He was sitting there eating with his Gentile brethren, and some Jews, prominent Jews, came up from, sent by James, came up from Jerusalem, and he disassembled himself, which is he removed himself from sitting with the Gentiles while they were eating, and he went off to the side, and he was, he, he, you know, he had influence in the church. And, he, and because he did that, the other Jews that were there disassembled, and even Barnabas, too. But isn't it amazing that, that our Lord allowed this to happen for our learning? And even for Peter's learning, too. So here we are now, 2,000 years later, we're reading this, and we're looking at this, this portion of Scripture authored by the Holy Spirit of God, and it speaks to our hearts as believers. And again, this, this letter has, has one of the keystones of the New Testament, which again is justification in Christ alone. And we're now approaching the heart of the epistle. Only in chapter 2, but the next few verses after what we're going to look at that this week, and we're going we're to start next week, it's actually the heart of the gospel. Again, it's, it's all about justification in Christ. And, and by faith, we believe on Christ, by God-given faith, and we're justified. But we're justified in him. It's what he's done that, that justifies us. And again, this is the heart of the epistle. I, I believe justification in Christ is, is the heart of the gospel, to be honest with you. Because without justification in Christ, we have nothing. We, we, we are just poor, wretched sinners. That's all we are. So it's a keystone of the New Testament. And here... Here Paul is going to give an answer in the upcoming scriptures of the age-old question, how shall a man be justified before God? Well, how, how can we be justified before God? In Christ. Only in Christ. Nowhere else. See, that's why it's so important, right? That's why, again, it's, it's, it's a keystone of the whole New Testament. And it ties in so much with the New Testament teaching that our salvation is in Christ and him alone. And the entire scope of divine revelation gives an answer, gives an answer to that age-old question, how shall a man or woman be justified before God? And who's the book about? He, the Lord said, the law and the prophets, they testify of me. Right? So it's all about Christ. So there's no salvation outside of Christ. And, and Paul, remember, he's battling the Judaizers, Right? Who are, who are questioning that salvation is in Christ alone. Actually, they're not questioning it. They're against it because they're saying you've got to do this to be saved. And now here, now he's going to start dealing with Peter disassembling from the brethren. How would we feel if we were all sitting there? Just picture us there. We're sitting there with Peter and Paul. We're all a bunch of Gentiles. And here's Peter. We're like, wow, there's Peter, man. You know? And, and again, he had... He had he, he, 
again, the ground's level, but, you know, he was a man of God. He was known to be with the, with, with the Lord. So he was one of the apostles. And, and they'd be like, wow, look, Peter's eating with us, talking with us. That, they'd be thrilled, wouldn't they? And all of a sudden, when these other Jews come, he gets up and walks away. How would we feel? We'd be like, what's going on, Peter? Are we not good enough to eat with you? Are we not saved by the same blood? And, and see, this occurred after, this occurred, and this is important, this occurred after Paul and Barnabas were given the right hand of fellowship that we saw earlier in this chapter. This occurred after that. So Peter, after Paul had went up and met with him, had come down to Antioch, which again, remember, is, is the, center for the, the center for the Gentile church. Just as Jerusalem is the center for the, for the circumcision church. You know, but, but they're all one. There's no division. Paul, Paul was okay with that division, but he never wanted division within the body. Never. Never division in the body. There, there's never one elevated over the other. There's never. We were talking about that last night. Dave. There's never. It's all level. It's all level. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ, saved by the same grace, given the same mercy, and washed in the same precious blood, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's read this. With that in our minds, let's read this where Peter is reproved by Paul. And again, this has, this has high significance because this could have either meant the shipwreck of the church or the survival of the church. Right? Because, because if he had divided himself and Paul, Paul hadn't said anything, then, then there's, no un, there's no unity between the Jew and Gentile, is there then? And that's what Paul was going at, is that we have to be united in Christ. And these Gentiles are justified exactly the same way you are, Peter. Right? You and I are justified the same way Peter, Paul, John, all the, all the Jewish converts are justified the same way we are in Christ. There's no difference, beloved. It's man who makes the difference. See, man is, we mess things up, don't we? We mess things up, beloved. We really do. And, and just a recommendation for next week, because we're going to get, again, we're going to get into the heart. We're going to get into the keystone, the heart of, of, of the, the gospel or of this book. Just read ahead if you can in your time, your free time. Just read Galatians chapter 2 a couple times if, if you'd like. And, and it'll give us a better understanding um, for what, what's coming up. It's just incredible. Let's read verses 11 to 14 right now in Galatians chapter 2. When Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. See what's happened here? The fear of man. Fear of man. That's why we're not to fear man, beloved. Fear he who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Fear God. Right? And, and for the believer, that's not a slavish fear. That's a reverent fear. My, this is my God. He's king. He's, he's over all. My. He separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. 
And the other Jews dissembled likewise. So he has some influence, right? Peter has some influence. He's an apostle. Well, the other Jews just follow along with him. And even Barnabas. Now think of this. Think, I was thinking about this. Here's Barnabas who, who was given the right hand of fellowship with Paul and was, was Paul's right arm. And even he's wandering off. <clears throat> he knows better. He's been with Paul ministering to the Gentiles. Now think of how they would have felt with that. Oh, dear Barnabas, what are you doing? See, we don't think that way, but people, we know humans, we think that way, don't we? What's wrong with me? Why is he doing that? See, we've got to look at the emotions, the human emotions, too, of how the Galatians would feel about this. They would be hurt. They might not verbalize it, but they would be hurt over what happened. And it says here, insomuch that Barnabas was also carried away with their dissimulation. That means separation. They separated themselves. And it, it, it brings forth in the Greek a slow separation. Kind of like, well, we need to be over here, boys. So there's now a distinction, isn't there? When there shouldn't be. There shouldn't be at all. And then it says, but when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said, Peter, be, before them all. Now, now look at this. Peter does, or Paul's not having no private private conversation. He says it before all the believers. He says, Peter, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're not walking according to the truth. That's what he's saying here. We'll look at that a little bit later. He, he's saying, you're not walking straight. You're walking crooked, brother. You're walking crooked. My He said, but when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, if thou being a Jew, livest after the manner of Gentiles and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? Well, Peter, Peter doesn't live as a Gentile. See, they got grave clothes, beloved. They got grave clothes on like we all do. Like our, our, one of our preachers said, we're all recovering Pharisees, aren't we? Right? They got these grave clothes on. Peter sees those, those prominent Jewish guys coming up from, and, and they're believers, and he sees them coming up from the church, and he's like, oh, I got to go over here. I can't let them see me. Eating with them Gentiles. They're your brothers, Peter. That's what Paul's bringing forth. They're your brothers in Christ. And he's going to bring forth in the latter part of this chapter, they're your brothers in Christ, and they're justified in Christ just like you are. So he says, why are you compelling them to live as a Jew when they're Gentiles? They don't compel you to live as a Gentile. Right? They were just, remember what it said in Scripture? That when the, when the Gentiles heard, that, that heard the news was for them too, they rejoiced. They were like, oh, praise God, this is for us too. They were so happy, beloved. They were so happy, they were ecstatic. My and now, now remember, too, Paul was raised up in the Jewish religion. He knew, he knew all the traditions. He knew everything that way. And, and look at this. He's a man raised up for this purpose. Right? He's the apostle to the Gentiles. So he's, he's actually raised up at this time to deal with this situation. Isn't that amazing? You know, God saves us just in time, right? 
and we are, we are to minister to our generation. Isn't that amazing? To our generation. We're, the reason, you know, I used to say this. I used to say, I wish I was born 150 years ago when Spurgeon was alive. Because I really like his preaching, right? I do. And I was like, oh, I wish. But no, that wasn't God's purpose. God in his sovereignty had me born in 1964. That was when I was to be here. And now I see that he was preparing me my whole life to be here with you all. Isn't that amazing? That's incredible, isn't it? It's absolutely. And he was preparing you all to be here today. And we rejoicing in the gospel together. That's amazing. That's amazing. So Paul was a man raised up by God for this situation to meet the the, the Galatian crisis that was occurring here with the Judaizers and also now with Peter. And just in the same case as, as Joseph and Moses and Samuel and David and Elijah and Daniel, the crisis depended upon the work of one. They were raised up to, to meet the crisis in that situation, weren't they? That's what they were. Paul was raised up to be the apostle to the Gentiles. To bring the gospel to the Gentiles. And one commentator said this, one man called, gifted, and equipped and sent of God to meet the need of the church um, is raised up by God at, at a crucial time. And all these men were raised up at those times to, to deal with the, the crisis at that time. You know, God has little use for communities and corporations and and, and all these things. It, it's incredible. Uh, his greatest works in the history of mankind have been wrought by single men. Look at Paul. Look at, look at David. Look at Solomon. He uses single men. Look at Brother Henry. Look Brother Henry was raised up. And, and all these preachers have been influenced by his, by his preaching. It's incredible. You talk to most of the grace preachers, and the two men we're going to have come up, they were both influenced by him. They were used by, by uh, or, or Henry was used by, by God to, to show them the truth. It's incredible. It's absolutely amazing. So Paul was called alone. There was no, no big financial backing behind him, was there? None. There was no big corporation behind him, no society or party behind him, no religious order behind him. And eventually he had Barnabas, but even they ended up splitting up. But they're not they're rejoicing in heaven right now. They're not they're not disputing about nothing anymore. <laughs> That's the thing I always have to chuckle. You know, there's different you know different personalities down here on earth and, and we get you know they get all worked up and look at Paul. Paul's the same man, Barnabas the same man, they get all worked up and they end up separating. Oh, they're rejoicing together, singing praises to our king right now. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Things are always reconciled at home, aren't they? Oh, my, it's wonderful. It's so wonderful. So was it, what was it that Paul was so boldly and singularly stood for on this occasion here? Well, we're going to see he stood for justification by Christ alone and through Christ alone. And, and he's even bringing that forth before Peter. Why you why you try to make these Gentiles live like the Jews? They're, 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 they have no idea about your customs. 
As a matter of fact, Jew and Gentile despised each other. The Gentiles at least would trade with them. And the Jews, the Jews looked down on the Gentiles. So you can see how that would be ingrained in them. And how, how now in Christ they're both one. You can see how some of the Jews who came out of, out of that religion would still have grave clothes on. See, I always say, let us, let us have grace with these guys because we'd be doing the same thing if we were in their boots. We'd be doing the same thing. <laughs> so like Luther and Calvin and Knox, Paul stood alone in this time of great urgency. And again, he stood, he stood for justification by Christ alone. The, the works mongers had crept in the church, right? They crept in the church unawares, quietly, secretly. And they said, you've got to do something to be saved. In this case, it was you have to be circumcised to be saved. Paul said, no, that ain't true. And he opposed them. He, he preached the gospel of God's free grace. To them. He preached the one true gospel, right? In and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Through his perfect sin atoning work. That's the only way we can be saved. Is by the perfect sin atoning work of Christ. No other way. No other way. We can't save ourselves. We have no ability to do that. We can't save no one else either. But that, that sacrifice of Christ. It's, it's complete. It's perfect. It's perfect. And we're redeemed by the shedding of his blood beloved. The life of the flesh is in the blood right? Scripture declares. Well, he shed his blood for us. He gave his life for us. My. And Christ, you know, Christ is all that matters in salvation. He's all that matters. There's nothing else that matters but Christ. He's all that matters in salvation. That's it. It's all wrapped up in him. He's all that matters in the salvation of man's eternal soul. And any other refuge other than Christ is a false refuge. It is a false refuge. No matter what people say, it's a false refuge. Any message that man claims to be good news that adds something to Christ's finished work is bad news. It'll damn your soul. It'll damn your soul. But there's salvation in Christ, isn't there? My, it's not bad news. It's wonderful news. It's the best news I've ever heard in my life. And he's, again, he's, he's all that matters in the salvation of a man or woman's soul. He's all that matters, the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing else that matters. And sinners, think of this too. Sinners, such as you and I, are justified in Christ, by God, in Christ alone. See, that's the opposite of what we think naturally, right? Because man, I've said this many times, I'm going to say it again, and I'm going to keep saying it. Man is wired to work. In our natural state, we think there's something. You know why? Because we don't have, you know, and, and I was thinking about this. You know why we're like that? Because we have no understanding of who God is. So we're left to our own selves in our natural state. And we think, well, it's up to me then. And then when we, when we start to feel that spirit wooing us, the Holy Spirit wooing us to Christ, drawing us to Christ, right? We see, oh, Lord. Thou art great. Thou art merciful. Because <laughs> I can't do nothing to save myself. Absolutely nothing at all. You're wondrous. You're wondrous. Oh my, it's so true, isn't it? And then, you know what? Even after the Lord saves us and regenerates us, we just keep saying, you're wondrous. You're amazing, Lord. You're incredible. Oh, he's so amazing. So we're justified by God freely. 
in Christ. Freely. Nothing in us. Nothing dependent upon us. Nothing good in us to merit that. And this was Paul's message. Salvation in Christ alone. Turn, if you would, to Romans chapter 3. We'll see this brought forth in Romans chapter 3. This truth brought forth very clearly in Romans chapter 3. Verses 19 to 26. Very clearly we see this brought forth. Romans chapter 3, verses 19 to 26. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law. So who's under the law? All of us. Every single human being is under the law, right? Except those in Christ now. Now we're, we're not under the law anymore, are we? But when our natural state, this is talking about our natural state, we're all under the law. That every mouth, why? That every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. See, man don't believe that. Man don't believe they're guilty. Men and women, they don't believe they're guilty before God. You know how I know? Because they say, well, I'm a good person. Ask someone if they're a sinner and find out what. You're, you're, you're either going to get, you're either gonna get a, a good reaction or a bad reaction, depending on who you're asking if they're a sinner. You ask a believer the sinner, say, yeah, I'm a sinner saved by grace. You ask an unsaved person the sinner, you might want to duck. <laughs> you might get some verbal abuse. <laughs> but there's no sinner down the street, right? Or there's no sinner in prison. <laughs> oh, my. But look what this scripture says there. It says that all the world might become guilty before God. Everybody's guilty before God. We're born dead in trespasses and guilty before God. Look at that. And look, look how clear this is. Okay, so, so those Judaizers were saying you have to be circumcised to be saved. And that, that's the law. They're using the law, right? Look at what it says here. This is marvelous. Look at verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, the doing of the law, right? The doing of the law, there shall, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. No one can be justified in God's sight by the doing of the law. It's so clear, isn't it? It's so clear. So clear. Right there. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. See, I didn't know what sin was until God revealed himself to me. Is it so for you? Till I saw that law and I was, oh, I was guilty in every single one of them. Just put a checklist beside every single one of them. Oh, my. And if I didn't do it, I thought it. See? That's when the Lord spiritualized the law, remember? When he spiritualized the law, everyone's guilty. Oh, my gosh. Everyone's guilty before God. My, oh, my. Look at this, though. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. That's Christ. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Remember the law and the prophets? They testify of me. Look at this. He's the righteousness of God, beloved. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. For there's no difference. Look at that. The Jews and Peter were making a difference, weren't they? By dissimulating. God says there's no difference between my people. They're all one. They're all one in Christ. It doesn't matter if your faith is weak 
or strong. You're all one. That's why it's so important what Scott said about the level ground. It's so important. You know, again, we preachers aren't to vault ourselves up. We're servants to the church. We're servants. You know, and, and we're all servants. I was telling Dave last night, we were talking, and I said, I said, I can't do what I do without you all. Praying and giving and keeping the church going, right? Isn't it amazing how we're, every single one of us is needed within the body of Christ? Every one of us is important. Isn't that amazing? It's wonderful. And now here we are joined together. So there's no difference. Look at this. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That means everybody. All there means all. It doesn't mean some. It doesn't mean the guy down the street or the guy in prison. It means all. Everybody's a sinner. Whether they admit it or not. See that? And then look at this. And come short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by whose grace? By God's grace. We are justified freely by God's grace, beloved. This is wonderful news. And see, this is Paul writing these words. The same one that's withstanding Peter, right? Remember that too. This is Paul writing these words. Being justified freely, wow, by his grace. Oh, how great is his grace. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Through the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wonderful. Whom God has set forth. See, God set forth Christ. God sent Christ. He set him forth, beloved. We didn't send him forth. God sent him forth. To what? To be a propitiation for our sins. That's wonderful. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. All that blood. All the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. To declare his righteousness. Whose righteousness? God's righteousness. Christ is the righteousness of God. Isn't that wonderful? That's our Savior. That's our, he's our righteousness. He's the Lord our righteousness. We're clothed in his righteousness. It's wonderful. Wonderful. For the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. How long suffering has God been with us? And how long suffering is he still with us? See, we're plagued by unbelief, aren't we? And somebody said, oh, Vicky once had some lady say, well, I I don't struggle with unbelief. (laughs) I said, look out. And it wasn't a few years later that that, that she was plagued with worry and all kinds of stuff. You just just don't say stuff like that. You know, not that God's going to get you and all that. I'm not talking that way. I'm not saying God. But God teaches us, doesn't he? In love. He shows us our need for him desperately. Desperately. Oh, it's incredible. I, I need him more now than I've ever needed him before. Is it so for you? More now than ever. More now than ever. To declare, I, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. He's a just God and he's my justifier. Isn't that wonderful? So for you, if you're a believer too. And last week we looked at how Peter had come to Antioch. Let's go back to Galatians chapter 2. He'd come to Antioch. He was, he, he, 
he had Paul, Paul withstood him to the face, confronted him over separating from the Gentiles when those important Jews came. And, and we know the, the flesh. Definitely the flesh got the better of Peter there. It got the better of Peter. He believed that we were justified in Christ alone. Just his flesh got carried away. He had the fear of man in him. Oh, may it never be so for us. May we not, not fear man. May, may we fear God and move forward. Marching before, or marching behind, actually, behind our king. He's the one marching, isn't he? We're marching to glory, beloved. Forgetting the things of the past, right? We're going to move forward. And move forward. My, oh my. And isn't it amazing, again, as I said earlier, I was really contemplating this. Isn't it amazing that God allowed this to happen? Now, it shows us that even the best men are but men. Doesn't it? Here's Peter. He, you know, he stuck his foot in his mouth a few times. Well, so have I. Right? Here, the flesh getting the better of him. Well, it's got the better of me too before. It's a battle every day, isn't it? My, oh my. Even good men can be wrong sometimes, which is the case with Peter here. Let's read verses 13 and 14 again. And the other Jews disassembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou being a Jew, livest after the manner of Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? My now, the probable origin of the Antioch practice of Jew and Gentile eating, again, was the result of Paul having gone up to Jerusalem and then giving them the right hand of fellowship and saying, well, the Gentiles are our brothers. So then again, here comes Peter coming down and he just starts eating with the Gentiles, right? Because they, the, and on Antioch now, they said, well, we, we, got, we got the right hand of fellowship from, from uh, Peter, James, and John. Let's just eat together, brothers. Let's eat together, sisters, right? Doesn't matter if we're Jew or Gentile, we're one in Christ. My. They knew now that the Mosaic economy had, had been set aside. There's no restrictions for them now. Now they can eat as one because they are one in the body of Christ, right? There's no division between Jew and Gentile in the body of Christ. No, Paul writes that we're one in Christ and we're all complete in Christ, right? All of us. My, and the Jewish and Gentile Christians, they welcomed this opportunity of fellowship. They probably loved it. They probably loved it. And, and we know they had unity together. They had unity together. And look at verse 13 again. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with them, and so much that Barnabas was also carried away with their dissimulation. Now remember the Holy Ghost had taught Peter by the vision on, on the, the housetop in Acts 10.9, that there was nothing common. There's nothing unclean, right? Remember? He showed them that. How quickly we forget. How quickly we forget, right? He showed them, you can eat any meat. I gave it to you. I gave it to you. So he knew then, he knew from that, that it was okay to eat with the Gentiles because they would eat food that the Jews normally wouldn't eat. 
But he's like, well, now I can eat anything that way. Oh. Pass the bacon, right? Because they didn't eat pork at one time. My, it's wonderful. He had freedom and liberty to eat with them. But here comes certain Jews, and he just, the flesh gets the better of him. Off he goes. And, you know, had, had Peter been firmer in his liberty, he could have said, look, I have freedom in Christ to eat with these, these folks. And so do you. But again, we see, in, we see in this chapter that the fear of man got a hold of him. And what a lesson here for us. What a lesson here for us. We're one in Christ, beloved. We come from all different places in this, in this country, right? All different walks of life. And we're brought here together by the, by the providence of God. And here we are rejoicing in Christ together. Isn't it wonderful? And so all this, even this, even this occurring here, remember this too, even this occurring here happened because for the furtherance of the gospel. Right? Just remember that. Just remember that. Because, because Paul is going to, in the next few verses we'll look at next week, Starting next week, Paul is going to get again to the keystone of the New Testament. Justification in and through Christ alone. That, because of this happening, God in his providence, right, allowed that to happen so that this could be brought forth. Isn't, that, think of, isn't it amazing how the Lord even uses our, our failings to teach us? Isn't it wonderful? You know, we don't grow on the mountaintop as much as we do in the valley, do we? Right? Because down here, we really need Christ. We really need him up here, too. But, you know, we're like, well, things are going good. I'm doing all... Whoa, man. <laughs> that take a little dip in the valley there for us to, to be reminded again, doesn't it? Oh, Lord, I need you all the time. I need you all the time. And so it's amazing how God works, how he uses... Uh, uses means and, and things that occur to teach us, to teach us, and to draw us even closer to him. We can't look for perfection anywhere but Christ, right? We can't. We, we're, we're imperfect beings. We're imperfect, but, but we look at the perfect one. We look at Christ, the sinless one. He's our Savior. And see there when it says, I want to bring this up quick, but it says, but when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel... In the Greek, that means to walk straight. They didn't walk straight. They were crooked. Going off the path. It means to, they, they, they didn't walk straight, to walk a straight course. It speaks of straightforward, unwavering, sincere conduct. In contrast to crooked, wavering, and insecure course. Paul was, he was off the path, wasn't he? He was in the weeds. Or not Paul, I mean Peter. Peter. Peter was in the weeds. He was off the path. And Paul says, you're not walking according to the way the Lord, the Lord called us to walk. See, this is also true, and I want to bring this forth, because I think this needs to be brought forth within, within our bodies, the, the little bodies we have as, as believers, is that, that we're not to walk off course, beloved. The, the New Testament has so much teaching of bringing us before Christ. And my problem, I don't know if it's yours, but my problem is when I start to wander off the path, right, then I get in trouble. Right? See, but the New Testament shows us this is for our learning, beloved. 
This is for our learning that there's nothing we can do to gain salvation. There's nothing, nothing anyone can do. Justification's in Christ alone. Now, Peter had to learn the hard way, didn't he? But, amen. We all do. We all do. We all go through things. You see? See? It's wonderful. It's just amazing. And again, Peter's rebuke was in front of everybody. Peter was rebuked by Paul in front of everybody. Paul didn't, Paul didn't say, well, come along over here. I'm going to take you in this room, and we're going to sit down with you and give you a talking to. Paul just let it out. Because these are his brethren, and he loves them. And Peter's offended them. Oh, my. Isn't it amazing how good God is to us? How merciful God is to us. He's absolutely amazing, isn't he? Absolutely amazing. Brother Travis, can you close us in prayer?